Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and encouragement to your life. For a list of messages, to stream live services, and for updates about events and more info, visit lifechurchroa.org. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Good morning. Look at somebody and say, man, you look good today. Uh, y'all, y'all need a little more enthusiasm than that. Some of y'all looking really fresh today. All right, so, so listen, look at somebody and be like, man, you look good today. Now, if you just lied in church here in a little bit, the altars will be open and you can come and repent, whatever you got to do, okay? Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. We are in the middle of a series called Everyday Intersections, and I've really enjoyed this series because it focuses in on our core values, the first of which was Jesus is our priority. He's not just a priority, he's the priority. He's what you write the list with, the pen and the paper, okay? He's not just a top-of-the-list kind of guy. He's the whole thing, right? He's a priority when it comes to my marriage, a priority when it comes to my children, a priority when it comes to my work, a priority when it comes to everything that I do. He is the priority, everything, okay? That's the first week. If you missed that, you can go back and watch it. The second week was last week. Anybody remember what the core value was last week? Community is our foundation, right? It's what we step on. It's what we jump on. It's what we move with. There goes my phone. It's what holds us up. I need you and you need me, right? But also we have community with God, right? Aren't you glad we have community with God? We don't have to, like, you don't have to come to me to pray for you. Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing. That's a great thing that me and God, you and God have a connection, And that it it is also a part of our connection with each other. And so community is our foundation. Today we're going to look at a third core value that I'm really excited about. This is one of my favorite core values, okay? It's one of the best ones. Because it ought to be an instinct of the believer. It ought to be something that as we become a new creation, we develop. Instincts are something that for the most part you have from the day you're born. So when we get born again, there are some spiritual instincts that we have to have, and one of those is what we're going to talk about today. It's the instinct of invitation. Y'all missed a great part. Y'all missed a great opportunity to be like, "Mm, I'm going to try it one more time, and I need some people who are like deep down in your soul. Just do a little, "Mm, I need you to preach with me this morning, okay? All right, so it's the instinct of invitation. Oh, see, now we're talking. Now we're talking. I need a little bit of help this morning because this is something that ought to be so deep ingrained in us from the moment we give our heart to Christ that we never stop. You ought to not be able to stop inviting people into the presence and to experience Jesus Christ. Now, I'm I'm not just talking about inviting them to church. I'm talking about how you live your life. I'm talking about how you treat them, what you do with them. I'm talking about all of these things ought to be instinct for us where we're inviting people to experience Jesus when they come to our house and eat eat at our table. When when, When people are being invited to experience Jesus when we go to the grocery store, when we go to the drive through line, when we go home for Christmas and you know who's going to be there, it ought to be, man, we ought to exude invitation into, to experiencing Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you what happens when you, things change when people experience Jesus. 
Things change. It's just a reality of who he is. Transformation is a part of who Jesus is. We're going to talk about that next week. A little precursor. Our fourth core value is transformation is our heart. And it's our heart because it's his heart. And so it's important that we get this invitation is our instinct part. In fact, so important that I'm going to give you the big idea first in the sermon. I haven't done that in a while. I'm going to give you the big idea first in case you check out on me or something happens. You get a text message that, makes, that, that, that just throws you off the deep end or whatever. I'm going to give you the, the, the main part of this message so that if something happens, you leave from here knowing at least this. You ready? I need everybody listening. I want to make sure I got your attention early. The instinct of every believer must be to invite others to experience the presence and power of God. Leave it up there for just a second. There's a little bit more to the point, but I want to make sure we get this. This cannot be something that is second in our world. This cannot be something that comes after we do everything else. It cannot be something that we never think about until we're at church on Sunday morning. It has to be instinct. It has to be as natural as breathing. It has to be as natural as smiling. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I see something that makes me smile, I can't help but smile. I like to Even when I'm mad and something makes me smile, I smile. You ever been mad and then mad that you smiled while you were mad? Am I the only one that's ever done that? I'm just making sure because yesterday that happened. I was upset about something, and then somebody else said something that made me smile, and I was holding back a smile. Do you know how ridiculous that sounds? I was mad because I wasn't mad anymore. I'm just saying, I, I want to make sure we're here. I want to make sure you understand that I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to me. You're just getting the benefit of hearing what the Holy Spirit's been smacking me around about. Okay? I know some of you are like, Holy Spirit, don't listen. Sometimes I need... My toes stepped on. Sometimes I need the Holy Spirit to, to get things straight for me. And yesterday was one of the, I was mad because I was no longer mad. Holding back a smile. Here's the worst part. I was sitting around a table with my family. The people that I'm supposed to be inviting to experience the love and joy of Jesus Christ every day of my life. Every moment that I'm with them, I'm supposed to be inviting them to experience that I'm supposed to be. And listen, I understand we all fall short of the glory of God. I'm talking about, I need you to know this is a conviction. And conviction is a gift no matter how much I don't want it. Y'all had gifts you return, right? Or that you, you, you still in your closet because you're going to re-gift when they forget about it. Conviction is one of those gifts, but it's a gift. Conviction... It's a little nugget. This has nothing to do with the message for the most part, but you're welcome. Conviction is a gift because it allows us to experience sanctification and move through the process of becoming more like Christ. By the way, that's what we've been talking about this entire series. The instinct of every believer must be to invite others to experience the presence and power of God. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say your instinct ought to be to invite them to church. Is that important? Absolutely. How many of you know the assembling of the saints is important? Amen? I'm, I'm talking about something bigger than that right now. That, inviting them to church is a part of it. But I'm talking about, do I live a life that invites people to experience the presence and power of God? Jesus did. 
Absolutely, Jesus did. Everywhere we look, he's inviting people to experience the Father in new, fresh, exciting, wonderful ways. From calling Lazarus out of the tomb, can you imagine? Can you imagine what that felt like to experience God in that way after having lived so long to experience him in in such different ways? And yet, we get to partner with him and do the same thing. Now there's a catch though, because this is an instinct that not only should come natural, but it's one that we've got to develop a little bit, which is kind of weird for the word instinct. But I want you to understand that some spiritual instincts have to be developed. And so you have to develop this instinct for invitation through humility, hospitality, honesty, and a word that I didn't even know existed until I started doing this, habitude. It's a fun word. Habitude. We're going to talk about what it means here in just a minute. But you can figure it out. Habit, attitude. Okay? And so we're going to jump into this. I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We're going to talk today about one of my favorite Bible characters. I love preaching about this man. We only hear about him in this part of Scripture. We never hear about him again. We don't know where he came from. We don't know why he was where he was. We don't know uh, anything beyond this point. And uh, yet we learn so much about him and he becomes such an example for us. So last week we looked at community, the community that the early church enjoyed and, uh, and built upon. This week we're a bit further along in the narrative of the early church. So we, we were in Acts chapter 2, now we're in Acts chapter 9. So we're a little further along in the early church. I want to give you a little context of where we're at. Stephen, a man that Luke, the author of Acts, describes as a man full of God's grace and power. How many of you would like to be described as a person full of God's grace and power? Oh, come on. That, that somebody would look at me or talk about me, and instead of saying what they could say about me, because we all know there's a lot of things you could say about me, but would say he's a man full of God's grace and God's power. That ought to be, man, that's something I'm, I attain to that. That's something I want. Yet, we, we, we meet this guy named Stephen who is that, and he's been arrested, and now he's been killed. Now, this caused the believers in Jerusalem to scatter throughout the regions of uh, Judea and Samaria. Now, remember what Jesus told them and told the disciples right before he left this earth. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, which is where the early church was, and then where else? Judea and Samaria. And the, and, and the rest of the world. And so we're seeing scripture, we're seeing the words of Jesus unfold right in front of us in ways that we would have never expected. In ways that we could not have gotten, but the invitation wasn't just for Jerusalem, it was for Judea, it was for Samaria, it was for the ends of the earth. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful it's for the ends of the earth. By the way, you and I live in the ends of the earth. Without that part of the scripture, you and I don't know Jesus. You and I don't have the privilege and the gift of knowing who he is and accepting his salvation. And so Stephen becomes the first martyr and the church scatters. The only ones left in Jerusalem were the the apostles and maybe a, a few other believers. But for the most part, the church scattered. They scattered, but they didn't shut up. 
That's the incredible part. You would think they would scatter and fear would keep their mouths closed. But instead, they scattered and they started talking about Jesus. They invited people into the presence and the power of Jesus Christ that had never even heard about Jesus. They hadn't seen what Jesus had done. They hadn't heard from the apostles who had walked with Jesus. Now, these are just ordinary people like you and me out talking about Jesus, living under the assumption that invitation to Christ has to be my instinct. Even if my life is in peril. By the way, they scattered because they were, they were afraid they were going to get killed. Persecution was coming. Yet the instinct inside of them, even under the threat of death, was to invite people to experience the presence and the power of Jesus. That we would be a church that under any threat would invite people under the threat of embarrassment. We would invite people to know Jesus and experience Him in ways that would change their lives. Under the threat of fear. All the way up to death. We would be a people. That ought to be our prayer. God, give me the boldness to be that type of person. The stoning of Stephen and the scattering of the believers now become fulfillment of their calling. What the enemy means for evil, the Lord uses for good. And that, that stoning was a, a at that stoning, there was a man named Saul. Saul was one of the leaders in persecuting the church. Now, this was a severe and concentrated persecution. It's that moment when you realize your kid's becoming a teenager and they're beginning to think on their own and you've got, one, you've got two choices, right? They, they kind of fire back at you and you can stomp them out or you can help them grow in that. Most of us go for, for A before we realize B was the right answer. Don't talk back to me that way. Who do you think you are? This was a stomping out of the church. They weren't just arresting people, they were killing people. Yet in the scattering, in the fear, we have a people who understood that this new instinct they had, this thing, this new creation that they were, required invitation. Saul knew the believers were scattering, and so he asked for permission from the high priest to go to the synagogues in Damascus and asked for their help in arresting any of the followers of the way. That's what they called them, followers of the way. He was supposed to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains, but God had a bit of a different plan. So on the way uh, to Damascus, they, his plan gets interrupted. Anybody glad when your plan gets interrupted by God? Maybe not in the moment, but later it's okay, right? Saul's plan gets interrupted, and what happens is Jesus shows up and says, Hey, what is wrong with you, man? That's the JCV. You haven't been around very long. That's the Josh Krause version. What is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Let me help you understand a little something. And Saul, Saul's blinded. And the man who was leading the charge in the persecution of the church all of a sudden has to be, is faced 
with a defining moment in his life, and he's been invited to experience the presence and power of God in a very scary way. And they have to lead him into Damascus, blind, broken, not sure about anything at this point. A man who spent his entire life being sure is now living unsure. Jesus tells him to get up and go to the city, and that's when he'll be told what to do. Surprisingly enough, Saul gets up and does it. I don't really understand that based on knowing what I know about him, but he does. He goes like he's commanded. His commission from the high priest, I want you to hear this. He had a commission from the high priest to go to Damascus. It didn't matter anymore because he had met the high priest. When you meet Jesus, the high priest... It doesn't matter what else your life, what else you've done in your life. That new commission changes everything. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't stop until the ends of the earth are reached. Love God, love people. That's, that's the commission. And so Saul is sent in, now commissioned in something different because the high, the high priest has set his course instead of a high priest. The men with him help him to the city, and he ends up there blind for three days, not eating or drinking. And this is where we jump into our story. One of my favorite Bible characters, and, and here's why. Because in verse 10, Acts chapter 9, verse 10, it says this, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Some of your, some of your Bibles just say, uh, there was this disciple. He's nobody. He does, he's not a high priest. He doesn't serve at the temple. He, he does, he's just a guy. Just a guy, Ananias, like any one of us. Just a person that God is going to use in one of the most powerful invites in Scripture. A nobody. You're never going to hear of him again. Saul's going to mention, Paul's going to mention him one time. But you're never going to actually meet him again. But for such a moment, for such a time as this, his invite mattered. Let's keep reading. Acts chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 10 again. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias... Yes, Lord, he replied. Now, when you read scripture, you got, if you've been around long enough, you heard me say this. You need to read it with some explanation points there, right? So he says, the Lord said, he comes to him in a vision. He says, Ananias. And I love Ananias' response. He doesn't, he's not like, what was that? He just says, yes, Lord. The Lord said, go, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, where you, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now keep your finger right there because we're going to talk about this and then we're going to keep reading. We don't know anything about Ananias before or after this meeting with Saul, but we can learn a lot from him. In fact, we're going to learn four very specific things from Ananias today about having an instinct for invitation. In fact, he's gonna, he's, he's, we're not just going to learn them from him. He's not going to just tell us. He's going to display them. He's going to show us. He's going to invite us to come along with him, and he's going to be an example of what we're supposed to be when we are inviting people to Christ with our lives, in our jobs, no matter where we are. 
And what I love about this account is that Scripture makes it clear is that he's just an ordinary guy. We don't have to. There's nothing we attain to here. Ananias is nobody. Here's the difference. He hears the Lord's voice and he knows it. Anybody can do that. Any one of us can hear the Lord's voice and know that it's his. He's not an apostle, he's not a prophet, he's not a pastor, he's not an evangelist, he's not, he's not an elder, he's not a deacon, yet God uses him because he was an ordinary man. It, listen, if an apostle or a prominent uh, person had ministered to Saul, people might say Paul received his gospel from a man instead of God. There's strategy in what's happening here because Paul's going to go on, and by the way, the reason you and I have the gospel is because of Paul. Now there's a lot of people between Paul and us. But God uses Paul to be the invite for the world. Right? You had Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Paul's the invite to the ends of the earth. God wants to use us for the special work he's called us to. Ananias is encountering an everyday intersection that most people would stop at, yet We see him instinctively do something different. We see him, even when, here in just a minute, when he says, God, do you know this man? (laughs) Do you know where you're asking me to go? He just, he doesn't stop. He just slows down a little bit. I love it. We don't see him say, God, I'm not going to do that. He never says that. All he says is, is, God, do you know where you're sending me? So God, and and, and here's the other thing. God speaks to Ananias in a completely different way than he spoke to Saul. Saul had a bold, almost violent confrontation from God. But Ananias heard the voice of God sweetly in a vision. And in that, God called him, and he was very specific with Ananias because what he's asking Ananias to do was scary. There was fear involved in this, yet... He's very specific. So as Ananias goes, he gets to Straight Street, he sees the house, he goes to the house, he asks for Saul. And all of these things that God tells him are, are, are true. It gets a whole lot easier to walk on something when you know the foundation is firm. Anybody, anybody love being up on scaffolding? I hate being up on scaffolding. In fact, yeah, Jimmy's probably the only person in the room that loves scaffolding. I won't get up on it other than, other than like the first layer. Um, I just won't do it because it's shaky. Now, here's the thing. The longer that you're, you do something like that, the easier it gets. Okay? So when you're walking on something that you think is kind of shaky, but it's actually firm, once you realize that, it's not too bad. I still ain't getting up on scaffolding, so don't ask. Ananias is asked to do something bold and dangerous. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 13. But the Lord exclaimed, but the Lord exclaimed, Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, there's no doubt that Ananias had heard about Saul and his plan. In fact, the believers were probably in Damascus were probably already preparing for him to show up. They were already ready. They had plans in place because the persecution was heavy in Jerusalem. And it was coming their way. 
And they knew it. It wasn't a surprise to them. Ananias had already heard about this man. He knew he was on his way. It's likely that as they prepared, Ananias was one of the ones that was helping them. His objections were logical. I've said things to God that he's asked me to do for much that were much less than this. Right? You ever felt like God's telling you just to talk to somebody? And you're like, God, I can't do that. I can't talk to that person. Ananias was going to go hang out with a guy who'd killed Christians. <laughs> and believe, and have to believe that he'd been changed. What we read here, even though his objections were logical and well-founded, we're given the idea that Ananias thought God needed a little bit of instruction here. Which is not much different than any of us. It further exemplifies the point that Ananias is just a normal guy. This is important. Because these things we're talking about, these everyday intersections, these core values, they've got to be, they're a part of our everyday lives. Am I going to do what he's called me to do? So God shares with Ananias that Saul's chosen by him for an incredible task, one that will bring suffering to him. He's to bear God's name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Saul was broken, he was blind, he was afflicted, and Ananias was going to have to go to him. I don't know about you, but if I was Ananias, it'd be hard to believe that Saul, the persecutor of the church, is the same man that God is describing. Let's watch what happens. Verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, it says, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Now, I want you to imagine the courage. I want to put yourself, put yourself in Ananias' shoes here. Because he's having to trust as he walks into this house, that he's not about to get arrested and put in jail. That he's not about to face his own death. And he enters the house, yet he goes in and doesn't just tiptoe in. I love this. He went in understanding that his job was invitation. This was an instinct for him. This wasn't something, he didn't kind of go in and be like, Hey guys, it's Saul here. He goes in and he, he immediately finds Saul and he finds him exactly the way God said he would find him because God is faithful, amen? What he says is true. You can trust what he tells you and he goes in with boldness that's rooted in this humility and hos- hospitality, honesty and this idea of, of habit. Ananias is a new creation with new instincts. Colossians 3.12 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And in this incredible moment, we see Ananias' instinct for invitation. Watch what he does. First he comes in and he puts a hand on Saul. comes in and he touches him. And then he calls him. He doesn't say, he doesn't call him out, right? It'd be really easy to be like, you persecutor of the church. 
He lays his hand on him and calls him brother. You ever had to apologize to someone for something you did and you thought, they were, you thought maybe they weren't going to receive it well? And you go in kind of like freaked out, but then they show you this mercy and grace that you can't understand? This is what's happening in this moment. When we talk about an, inv- an, an instinct for invitation, it's not just an instinct to say, come. It's an instinct that requires you to go. And tell you a secret about salvation, to be saved is to be sent. You don't get to be saved and not go. That's a reality of the cross. That's a reality of the calling that we have. It's a reality of who we're supposed to be as Christians. You ever thought to yourself, well, I'll forgive them when they come to me and apologize. If that's the case, none of us deserve what Jesus did on the cross. If that's the case, none of us deserve what we got. And I'm not trying to be ugly here, but I want you to understand this is not just something about inviting people to come to church. It's about understanding that we go to people in the, hurt, in the, in the worst moment. Can you imagine any worse moment than having, than having been confronted by the very God that you've been persecuted by? Now you're blind and you're somewhere where you can't be, you can't eat, you can't think. All you want right now is for things to kind of be a little bit normal and for somebody to show you some grace. And how are they going to show you grace? Because you just stood by idly. As somebody walks in and with a humility that cannot be explained other than Christ-like, lays a hand on you and welcomes you with open arms. That's the instinct we're talking about. Talking about being able to love someone even through the messiest parts of their life, the worst parts, the hardest parts, the grossest parts. And inviting them to experience Jesus even when everything that they show you is, is, is opposite what they need to show you. Is opposite what you would expect. When he said, Brother Saul, there was a powerful communication of the love of God here. It was communicated through the touch and through his voice. Beyond that, we see that Ananias was there when Saul's sight was restored. and He was filled with the Holy Spirit. These are powerful moments that create a bond between people. I remember who I was with when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember where I was standing. I remember who was praying over me. And I remember the celebration as I received that gift from those people. And you can rest assured, Paul never forgot this moment. This was a defining moment. As much as his encounter with Jesus was a defining moment, this was also. He experienced the love of a God that he had persecuted. And he did it through Ananias. Ananias' instincts overrode his fears and his objections. And because of that, Saul experienced the love, the presence, and the power of God even more. This is a moment, I want you to catch this, because this connects us back to last week. This is a moment of community that both goes deeper and wider at the same time. It goes deeper with with God and wider with people at the same time. That's how it works. We talked about last week. 
Ananias shows us four key elements of developing our instinct for invitation. We've already talked about these a little bit, but we're going to dive in, in, in into each one of them briefly. The four key elements are this. Developing our instinct for invitation requires humility. Humility is a laying down of our pride. Okay, it requires that we lay down our pride. Ananias does this from the very first word from God. When God calls out to him, he responds. There are many reasons that he might have ignored this. Fear, anxiety, surprise, busyness, and the list could go on and on. Okay? Sometimes God will call out and want me to do something. God, I'm just too busy to do that. If you knock something else off my schedule, I'll be happy to do what you asked me to do. Ananias just jumps in. There's a humility there. My time is not mine. It's his. If he wants me to use it to go talk to a guy that's blind, I need to use it to go talk to a guy that's blind. There's a humility in all of this, yet we see him, even in the midst of this, answer immediately and with confidence. And even when he questions God, he lays aside his pride and responds to God's command. He understood that just because he was not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, or the like, does not mean that God doesn't want to use him in his plan. I'm sure Ananias had plans for this day that did not involve coming face to face with a man that would sooner put him in jail than accept his friendship and brotherhood. I'm positive of that. Talk about humbling yourself. Talking about laying aside your pride. James 3.13 tells us that humility comes from wisdom. And James goes on to tell us later that wisdom comes simply by asking God for it. It's surprisingly simple. We pray for wisdom. And it will be given to us. And out of that wisdom comes humility. That's the challenge. C.S. Lewis wrote this in his book, Mere Christianity. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Talk about becoming more like Christ. Put himself on the cross. Put himself on the cross, not thinking about himself, but thinking about us. When we think of ourselves less, it takes away the concern for our possessions, our reputation, and our safety. endeavor to share Jesus Christ with someone. But is it just humility that helps us develop our instinct for invitation? We also see hospitality. Hospitality is this idea that we're going to lay down prejudice. It means to be given to generous and, and, and cordial reception of guests, readily receptive. Ananias didn't condemn Saul he doesn't stand away from him kind of back here and say, hey man, Jesus loves you. And then turn around and walk away. He gets into it with him. He doesn't treat him bad. Instead, he calls him brother. He prays for him and then spent time with him. Saul needed brothers and sisters that would surround him and love him, accept him, not condemn him because of his past. He needed brothers and sisters who walked into the church, didn't care what he was wearing, what he smelled like, what he looked like, just wanted him to experience Jesus. One of the incredible parts, one of the things I love about Life Church yes, just accept people. Just love people. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they smell like, doesn't matter their past. 
Hospitality was an important aspect of the life of the Jews. It's an incredible cultural, they, they place an incredible cultural premium on hospitality. They'll tell you that this is because they're children of Abram. They'll tell you because they're they're children of Abraham. All the way back to Abraham, we can see hospitality is important. It didn't matter what was happening, how hard the day was, how many people it was. Hospitality was important. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis 18, Abraham, Abraham receives three visitors within a couple days of having surgery. And he doesn't just do it like tell his servants to do it. He's chilling out in the warmth of the day, trying not to think about what just happened. Trying not to think about the surgery. Anybody remember day three after surgery? It's the worst, right? We don't know exactly how many days after this happened, but God had just set the covenant in motion for them, and that included Abram and all of the men in his household to be circumcised. And he's hanging out at the tent because all this just happened. He's sitting in the warmth of the day. He's not busy. He's not doing anything. He's recovering from surgery. And he sees three guys coming down, walking towards him. You can go read it. Genesis 18. He jumps up. Okay? Yeah. He jumps up. And he starts running around, rushing around. Now, listen. Patriarchs didn't run. I want you to understand this. They didn't run. They didn't hurry for anybody. They didn't have to. Everyone expected them to move in a way that didn't show hurry, except for hospitality. Abram gets up and he hurries, it says. He rushes around and he makes preparation. He goes into the house and he says, hey, we got to bake bread. He goes out, he picks out a calf and he, he brings it in. They slaughter the calf. They get everything ready for their visitors. Their visitors get there and he greets them himself. I want, you to, I want you to get this because I want you to understand how deep hospitality runs. There was three people coming. He, was rece- he had just had surgery. He's got 318 people in his household. Somebody else could have did this. But no, he jumps up and hurries around. They bake 60 pounds of flour. 60 pounds for three people. Slaughtered a calf, made yogurt and milk for them, all while recovering from surgery at about 100 years old. I'm 38, and I'm going to the store and buying you bread if you show up at my house. <laughs> Mainly because I don't know how to bake bread. I don't want to know. But I'm going to the store and buying it for you. They bake 60 pounds of flour, slaughter a calf, and make yogurt and milk for their guests. Hospitality mattered. And it never stopped mattering. It still matters today. There was a story by a man who visits Jerusalem frequently and he takes, or Israel frequently, and he takes people with him. And they 
they got off the bus the first day there they walk over a hillside and they're going towards this village and as they're moving towards the village 30 or 40 children years five years old to eight years old are running towards them don't even know who they are can you imagine sending your five-year-old out just to meet strangers kids lead them back into the city. They go into uh, this woman's home and she's already making preparations for them. The whole village comes together. They bake bread. They eat bread until they can't eat no more bread, until everything's gone. And it's at that point that the group of Christians who were there to learn more about Israel, to go deeper in the word of God, find out that they are in the home of a Muslim family. And when asked about that hospitality, that's the first thing the the woman says. She says, we're children of Abram. This is what we do. doesn't matter what what your background is, what your history is, what you believe. Hospitality matters. And so you have both humility and hospitality here in Ananias. But also you have an honesty, which is, a laying down of a personal agenda. You ever met someone who you always feel like they have some underlining motive for what they're doing? Ananias didn't have an underlying motive. He was honest when he walked into that room, scared, but honest. Ananias shows us that the instinct for invitation cannot have a personal agenda. If Jesus is priority and community is foundation, it's his agenda for people that matter. The final thing that we learn is a new word that I learned, and I, and I don't know if it's a new word for you, but it's a new word for me. It's called habitude, which is the laying down of our personal preferences. Habitude is a, uh, a disposition or mode of behavior that's a habit. It means that when I'm making it a habit, in our context, I'm making it a habit to listen for the voice of God and to act on that voice. My attitude towards this is that this will be a habit. I'm convinced that God could have asked Ananias for anything and he would have done it. Because I think he made it a habit in his life to listen for the voice of God and to act on that voice. The instinct must become habit. It has to be something that we practice and make normal. Invitation can only be our instinct when we make it happen and make it a habit. It's about laying aside the instincts of the old man, our personal preferences, not to have to talk to people. Anybody, I, don't raise your hand, but sometimes I just don't want to talk to people. Sometimes I just don't want to show love. I just kind of want to do my thing and go home. Yet that can't be our habit. I have to lay aside those personal preferences and walk in this invitation, this instinct that that my new creation should have. About laying aside the instincts of the old man. I want you to listen to this last part. We're, We're almost there. This is the part that makes the difference. All of those things we talked about, those four things are linked to holiness. Holiness means to be part or set apart. 
right? Holiness means to be set apart. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes to believers. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am you're set apart. You're not just set apart for nothing. Jesus says you're set apart for invitation. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my commands. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and be my witnesses. Love me like you've never loved anything before, and then turn around and love people like you love me. must be our instinct, church. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If we're to be holy, if we're to become more like Christ, to be set apart for His will, it's going to require that invitation is instinctual to us. But it's not easy. It can be scary, it can be hard, it can be challenging. It requires that we're humble. It requires that we're hospitable, it requires that we're honest. And it requires that we make it a habit. It's not just something we do once but it's something that we become. It's an instinct. We can't help but invite people into the presence and power of Jesus. And all of that because He calls us to be holy like Him. Today, if you're here, I wonder... I don't have some elaborate call today, some elaborate altar call. I just wonder if the Word of God has challenged you. If Ananias' example that of what it means to have invitation as an instinct has challenged you this morning, I want to invite you to come to this altar and spend some time with Jesus just asking him to develop that inside of you maybe you need to repent for not having it maybe you need to ask him for boldness maybe you've never seen it this way before and today you just want to commit and say I'm, I'm in you want to say yes Lord like Ananias Whatever it means, I'm going. Because to be saved is to be sent. That's the first call. The second is this. Maybe you're hearing all of this. And you're in the position that Saul was in. Where he didn't even know Jesus. He knew of him. But he had never met him. He had never been invited into a relationship with him. 
And today, you want to be in relationship with Him. Today, you recognize that Jesus came to invite you to experience Him and His power, that He loves you. The beginning of that experience is salvation. Jesus stepped out of perfection, out of heaven, lived a sinless life to become a sacrifice. He was sacrificed on the cross for this moment. For you to be called out of that grave we were talking about earlier and live a life that experiences His presence and His power. When we talk about salvation, sometimes we talk about hell and all the bad things that hell comes with, and there's a lot. But I'm here to tell you today the worst thing that comes with an eternity in hell is the separation that you have from God and His presence. And so the two calls today are this. I need Jesus to be my Savior today. I'm hearing the invite from the Holy Spirit. And I want to step into that. Or you're saying, I'm saved. And this word, this example of Ananias has challenged me. And I want to step up into that challenge, ask the Lord for strength and power to do that. I want to challenge you to step forward. If you're either one of those, if you're up for salvation, I want you to come talk to me specifically. If you're praying for the boldness, for the power to live with this instinct, to grow in this thing, to develop this instinct for invitation. Maybe you need developed in humility, hospitality, honesty, holiness, whatever it may be. As the team begins to sing, I want to invite you to come. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Don't forget to visit us at LifeChurchROA on Instagram and Facebook for updates, service times, and ways to get involved. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we would love to partner with you on your next steps. Visit LifeChurchROA.org Jesus to learn more. We love you and we can't wait to see you soon.